Welcome to Homestead Gardening in the Texas Gulf Coast with Kristen Howard. Today's podcast episode is part three of a three-part series with myself and my husband as we discuss what it's been like for us homesteading in Houston over the past decade on a two-acre unrestricted property. In part three, we start with a random goat ownership story as we begin to merge topics already mentioned in the past two episodes, debate the merits of homesteading and homestead gardening, get really real about owning an older ranch-style home in Houston on unrestricted property, and share all the fun construction head scratchers and things we've uncovered across the two acres. We answer questions we've been asked throughout the years through stories and banter. Unfortunately, it's difficult to squeeze in all of the fun stories across a decade in such a short podcast episode, but I think we've covered a lot of our favorites, both good and bad. A word of warning, this podcast episode was very lightly edited, and I did not attempt to remove any foul language if any was used. So listen with caution or not at all if you're easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy this episode. Yeah. Also the goats. The goats, the goats, the goats (laughs) were considering that they gave us nothing in return because they didn't keep them long enough, even then. So here's the problem with the goats. Even if I'd kept them long enough to produce milk, which you have to have a baby for them to produce milk. So that's a whole nother extra chore. Um, By the time the goats left me, the smell of the goat smells exactly like anything the goat produces. So goat cheese, goat milk smells like goat poop. The problem with that is I didn't want to eat or drink any of that ever again. Um, It took me about a year before I kind of got that taste back. I would have never actually used any of the things they produce. That that's the biggest problem. Um, well, so the, the goats though too. Like, I highly recommend for people with property a couple of goats, not too many, just like enough that the property can take care of. Because they need a friend. Like, you you can't have a well, one goat situation. Yeah, you either. can have one. You can have one. Goats are like big dogs with hooves. They're hundred pound dogs that have hooves and want to jump on you and say hi. They're affectionate. They want to give you hugs. They love when you come out to see them. They're just like dogs. They like to be pet. Um, they love it. They, they, yeah. they need a little more maintenance than dogs. I mean, maybe that's because we don't treat them like dogs, right? But, you know, like in Houston where it's wet all the time, you get they, problems with their hooves and stuff. They but, get they get uh, fungal issues a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. But generally, goats are a lot of fun. But you should only have like two or three where the number that you can maintain as a fun hobby, unless you're trying to, because there's like fun hobby goats, which is two or three. And there's, I have a herd of goats because I make a lot of soap. That's like a hundred goats, right? There's no in between. It's a hundred goats or three goats. So you mentioned earlier that I had uh, show goats. I had show goats and then I had one goat that technically, it wasn't a show goat because it didn't have the proper uh, breeding history, but it wasn't inbred. It was right in between. And the show goats were the dummy that got stuck in the ditch. The dummy. So the show goats were very intelligent. The dummy who was not inbred, but wasn't a show goat, didn't have the the lineage for that was not intelligent. And and it it was obvious. Just for context, we, I had been digging this little trench back in the area where the goats were to put some irrigation pipe in. And it was only I don't know, six to eight inches wide and 10 inches deep. And Kristen goes out there one day and there's this goat. Who's a juvenile? He's pretty small. <gasps> we had we had those white midget turkeys at the same time, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. So he, this goat was upside down in the irrigation ditch, 
stuck there with his legs in the air with these little midget turkeys. And midget turkeys, they're like the size of a chicken, but they're a turkey kind of pecking at him occasionally. He was a real dumb goat. He was so sweet. He, um, so I named all of my goats after a favorite show of mine. Uh, my favorite, sh- well, at the time, my favorite show was Psych. And uh, the character Gus had a bunch of nicknames, like a hundred nicknames over the course of the show. So well, I picked- they, were, they were nicknames that the main character gave to the other guy. Yeah, they were, so they were ridiculous. So this goat's name was Gus T.T. Showbiz, and I named him T.T. And so I'm going out there going, oh, T.T., you fell in the ditch. Um, but it was not a ditch. He was so stupid. Um, the poor little he thing. Was he was so sweet. Yeah. He was so sweet. Um, I also did not know how to bottle feed a goat when I first gave, uh, got him and tried to hold him like a baby, which is not how it works. Uh, no, it's not the heart. You just like hold the bottle. You just hold the it. bottle and they take care of the rest. And I was trying to, I was overworking it, overthinking it. Um, let's see. Yeah. So that, that may be the most labor intensive thing we've done. Most labor intensive thing I've grown is actually tomatoes. Everybody says, oh, tomatoes are so easy. No, they're not. They're ridiculous. You have so much trimming, so much stuff. I think I'm, I think I'm allergic to them. They're horrible. I don't like them. I don't even eat them. I grow them so that I can consult with clients on how to grow them better. It's a horrible thing. I hate it. Um, I won't be doing it again. You know what's the opposite of that? Is the Hmm. thing that everyone says is so much labor, but you had so easy here, which was roses, right? Oh, roses are too easy. Roses are ridiculously easy. The thing about roses is everybody tries to grow them um, from the brightly colored... 1970s 1980s uh swatch that came on the market and and i know too much about roses and i already have a rose episode so i won't go into it too much but if you want to know about more more about roses the rose podcast is or, or the rose trimming episode on youtube is a great option but here's the thing about roses there are trends just like with clothing and everything else the 70s and 80s brought these brightly colored iridescent nutso looking roses to the market and ruined roses for everybody. They were not disease resistant. They were, um, they had big blooms, but they were disgusting. They had some smell, but everybody lived in estate homes with a lot of shade and roses like sun. They don't like that much water. They like care in the form of fertilizer and trimming off diseases, but that's about it. But on my property, the best roses were not the showstoppers surprise, surprise. Um, the healthiest roses were not the cut flowers, uh, but they had great scent. They have, they have all these wonderful features, but these seventies and eighties roses are what put a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And made people think that you had to care a lot for roses. That's not true. They were just terrible roses that got shoved onto the market because they were brilliantly colored. Um, and, and now we've done a lot better. The roses from about 1990 on, or even 2000 on, are, are, are much better, and they're adapted to our climate. So anyways, I have a lot of uh, suggestions on those. We can talk about another time. Oh, okay. So here's something I've experienced more in the garden, in that plot, but, but we've experienced this everywhere. Um, we have dug up a lot of things around the property that were here before we were here, and then We've also lost things that we've dug up for like our, our own things, um, especially during the goat saga. Uh, 
how often have you on average per year dug up things from past owners? Yeah, it's hard to say on average because most of that happened early on. I'll, I'll, I'll find a new patch of like, a, I'll go to a new location to start a new project and dig up a ton of stuff, like all this weird stuff. Yeah, I think that uh, when you think about buried treasure, right? Like X marks the spot. Um, I think cinema has given this this idea that we'll find buried treasure and it'll be awesome. The truth about it is almost all buried treasure on the planet that you will find is a small pile of trash that you don't want to be there. Yeah, and that's you, true of our property. You more or less dig up the risk of tetanus. Um, well, so, it's, it's like it's like old horse tranquilizers that are half used. It's just <laughs> weird stuff. Uh, the weirdest thing I've dug up, I think we decided it was a hubcap or it was this weird donut. It was a full donut. It was not a hubcap. What is it? it? Was, we haven't decided. It was it was a solid, I mean, it was a heavy steel donut. Um, and I don't really actually know what it was for. It could have been an old tractor wheel, but those were usually split, split rims. So I don't think that's it. It was something else. Yep. I'm not sure. I, we've never figured out what it is. I think it's still sitting in the garden right now because sometimes I just like to pile up the trash that I find and then figure out what it is later and deal with it which, later. Which because I I'll, really appreciate when I get on the mower and find that pile of trash. Don't worry. It's the in the garden. You'll never get to it. Um, <laughs> but yes, we have a few piles of, oh, look at that, um, that have just been left where they are because they're not, they I just don't even, there's, they're mostly metal. They're weird. I don't know. Um, we have found our own things sometimes and, and like we've reused the things we find that are ours. So we found um, in the previous garden before our pause, we found some of the old um, holes, uh, sorry, hose sprayer connections and you've cleaned them out and reused them and they worked for a year before I, they- I think what Chris is meaning to say is um, the stuff that we had found that was ours subtracts from the pile of stuff we're gonna leave for the next owner. <laughs> no, okay, so the next owner, I'm doing a real buried treasure hunt for them. I'm gonna have a few things buried in the yard that are wrong, completely wrong. And then I'm gonna have some real treasure that's, that's going to happen. Um, we're going to hand over the keys with a treasure map. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. The weirdest thing I've dug up is what I couldn't dig up. Remember when I tried to plant that citrus tree? We'd had the Japanese maple tree die, mm. and we couldn't figure out why. We didn't know what we did wrong. And then I tried to plant a citrus tree, and I hit concrete. Yeah. Um, and we never got an answer on that, but we decided, I, I called the utility company to come find out what was there. They couldn't, they said nothing was there. Um, we decided that it was possibly a capped well. Well, I think what it was probably actually is um, every property in the United States has pipelines running across it because there's hundreds of millions of small pipelines. Probably what happened was, and we know that there is a pipeline running across the property. Somebody broke that pipeline. Some utility came out to fix it and just for good measure poured some concrete on top so it wouldn't happen again. 
Yeah. That area is a dead zone for, for growing anything. Every tree, we took out a ton of trees on the property that were really sick. Some of them, most of them that were really disgusting that were, we were just like, well, how, what is wrong with this tree? We know the answer now. They were growing around some sort of concrete, something or other. It's not that deep either. It's like 10 inches and then um, concrete. Yeah. It was eight or 10 inches. It was almost nothing. It was ridiculous. Um, what's something that you want to grow? Not, you can't say the Jibutacaba because we're, we're going to get that. We've grown it before. What's something that you want to grow that you haven't yet? A hundred foot tall rainbow eucalyptus. Oh man, I I tried to start these rainbow, rainbow eucalyptus seeds. I've actually been successful and then couldn't get them past that hump. Well, this is one of those trees that it grows really, really slow. And once you get it out of the juvenile stage, it could survive here, but that's like 20 years. But we do grow eucalyptus. <laughs> We've grown lemon balm eucalyptus really successfully. Um, it usually comes back from the ground over and over. And then I have a bunch of the silver dollar right now. And then I have some sort of lance leaf eucalyptus in the front yard that survived the big freeze that we had the other year um, that I, I absolutely love. It's so fantastic. It gets diseases. It gets little speckles on it all the time, but it's, it's fantastic. It grows well. What is something that's not producing yet that you're most excited about? What are we growing that's not producing yet? I don't even know if you know what, what we're growing, truthfully. Like I've grown, I'm growing so many different things. I don't know. We might actually get peaches this year, which would be nice. Yeah, it's been a few years. We have a really good little crop. So that's it, peaches. That's kind of boring. Well, most of what you're growing is like vegetables, which again is for rabbits. So that's debatable. That about it. That's debatable. Uh, chickens like them too. Uh, <laughs> Pretty close. Not quite an apex predator, but close. How many square feet do you think our vegetable garden is? The main vegetable garden, not the weird stuff I have all over the property. I don't have to think. I can just do the math. It's about 65 feet by, I don't know, probably 35. So a little under 2,000 square feet. Oh, you're way off. That's no. I did a real calculation today and it is 600 square feet. Oh, I'm oh, so you're talking about just the bed area, just the bed, just the growing space, which is, which I've made okay, extremely compact. Yeah. Be fair. It seems a little small, but close, but know? I'm growing a ton of stuff in a small space. That, that was the whole point of this year is to see how extreme could I get my planting spacing? How extreme is it? Is it like X okay. games extreme? Well, I mean, I could compete. <laughs> I wouldn't win. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, so I'm not counting the Hugo Culture Mound, but I think once I build up the second Hugo Culture Mound, because I did forget a spot of gardening space when I did my calculation, I think I'll be at a thousand, a thousand square feet, but I'm getting food per each meal each day right now, which is pretty good. Hear that? You need 25 by 40 feet of gardening space. And you'll be good to go for two for two people, not a full family. If your family eats vegetables, um, no, you just need to grow some fish out there. It'll be good. I'm working on it. I haven't tried very hard on that, but the brain power is ready for it. How large do you think this garden that I'm growing now is going to be by next year? I mean, I always get a wild hair about me and start expanding, but how much do you think I can handle? Well, you got like another 400 square feet just in that area that's not being used. So you probably use that. 
Um, and really what it'll come down to is how much time per day do you want to spend watering and pulling weeds? Well, I plan is, you know, there's, there's an optimization curve there. Right. Right. My, my plan is to utilize a lot of the filter fabric we've bought to my advantage. I just have to get to that point where I can do that. All right. How much effort or work do you think building and maintaining a garden is reasonable for a home garden? And I'm really asking you specifically because I have a completely different perspective on what's reasonable and it's not realistic. So what do you think? I think that question can only be answered in the context of how likely do you think that society is going to collapse? Because if your answer to that is 0%, then go to the grocery store except when you really want to grow your own stuff because it's not efficient it's not economical it's just a hobby sort of thing right well, this is a this uh, is a homestead gardening podcast and so yes i mean people who actually believe that they can get to that point do believe that that's that they do need to be more self-reliant which well, is why okay, which is why true. maybe that's true maybe it's not i just if if you want to garden and grow your own stuff, garden and grow your own stuff. If you want to be prepared to be able to do that, it's great practice to do that also. I just, I wouldn't expect that it is economical compared to spending your time on, you know, entering the economy some other way. Sure. No, that that's, I agree. Um, yes. However, my reason for asking asking is, do you think it's reasonable? It's just a perspective, right? Um, and if you say, save onto the knowledge for a rainy day fund, you have to have seeds to prepare for that. So can you share how you think seed saving should be done? What, what do people need to have, not just seeds, obviously, but how do they need to save them for that rainy day fund? I already know, but I don't think I shared that with anybody before. Well, I think you should work saving seeds the same way you do with canned food, which is expect that they expire, get new seeds every year, use the old ones um, to replenish your stock. So you don't have stale, expired, maybe worn out seeds, right? You can store them for a long time if you put them in glass jars with some oxygen desiccant, but it's probably easier and cheaper to simply replenish the seeds that you have especially if they're seeds that can reproduce themselves because a lot of hybridized plants can't these days. But if they're the heritage seeds, you don't need to store them for 20 years and you really shouldn't just use them every year and buy new ones the next year. Or, you know, have two years worth of stock where you got one year of storage and one year that you use. Yeah. And, and I've used seeds that are seven years old and they've germinated at a 50% rate, which is fantastic. Um, it, it's not, and they're stored completely imperfectly. But I, I think that storing perfectly would be obviously better. Um, the best way, yes, is to grow them in your climate, collect seeds from your climate, and then have the advantage of the seeds that are being produced be more adapted to your climate. And therefore you have a better chance of a really good harvest with less plants, less space. Um, that's the most efficient way of gardening is working up to that perfect efficiency. Um, which I know it sounds redundant, but I swear it's not. Um, yeah, no, none of us should be trying to be the global seed bolt, right? Because we're right. not going to do that. It's not going to happen. So, you know, save your seeds, but don't think that your seeds are going to last forever. And 
if we're being honest with ourselves, if you spent $40 a year on new seeds, that's all the seeds you would need if really you needed to have to have them and you couldn't get them anymore. Um, let me tell you a secret. We spend more than that, but I'm working on that. So a lot no, of my no, time, I'm quite aware. <laughs> a lot of my time recently has been spent harvesting seeds. I cannot say that with the, the context that you're bringing to the table, that is a reasonable way to spend my time, but I find it reasonable um, for many other reasons. So yeah, yeah. It's, so you can't measure everything in economic value because we're humans and you need hobbies and entertainment and ways to de-stress, right? So if that's right. what you get out of that, that's part of the value. And my um, and my seed saving for everyone is out there, if you're if you're just doing seed saving for economic value, I can almost guarantee you it's not worth it. Right. But if there's other motivations for it, it might be worth it for you. And for me, it's a great opportunity to have a monotonous task that slows down my brain, that calms me down, that makes me get away from work for a minute and take a break and not be overly stimulated by social media and television and everything else. And it's actually, it's actually has a separate value, but my original purpose for doing it and for giving that garden space to those seeding plants was for the rainy day fund um, and for the advantage of next year's crop, maybe doing better and me having a smaller garden. And so my question for you about how, how big do you think my garden is going to get? I think I might add a couple more spaces to make my crop rotation easier, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my garden needs to be in use at every plot needs to be in use at all times, which at the moment it is. I feel like in the future, the more efficient I am with my plants, my uh, more efficient my seeds are from year to year. And as the genetics improve to adapt to my climate, I really think that I don't need as big of a garden as I yeah, used to think I need. I mean, yeah. I mean, looking back at crop rotation from the olden days, um, you don't use all the soil all the time. However, if you're doing raised plants or gardening, it's not like you can go through with the tractor and take out all the weeds, right? So I'd say if you're if you're using half of your garden at a time, prep the other half that you're not using to kill the weeds off or to let them not grow, you know, cover them, cover them with something or put in a cover crop that's not gonna make the soil go fallow. Now, I like to tell people, oh, I don't spend that much time in the garden. You may not know how much time I spend oh, messing around, right? Messing around, just, just hanging out, texting, um, picking a shady spot and enjoying the smells. I, I have mint in the garden and different things that are really relaxing and fun to be around. And I just hang out. Um, but the actual work that I put in, what do you think is reasonable per week to put in on average over an entire year, just an average weekly rate? What do you think is reasonable? Well, I mean, if I'm going to put it in an economic value, no, um, just, 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 it depends on your best alternative. <laughs> okay. Well, not everybody can work all the time, you know? So if you can work 24 I, I think, hours think, a day, I that's the, the economic. Advice any, the advice to anyone on that is um, no matter how much time you're spending if, in your garden, if you were going to spend it watching TV instead, then it's probably time well spent. But if you were going to spend it working at an actual job, making money for your family instead, you might consider that the work is more important. Okay. So, so let's argue that a 40 hour work week in the garden is unreasonable, but perhaps five hours a week on average is reasonable. 10 well, some weeks. If you're, 
if you're Frank next door and you're retired and you got nothing to do, who cares if you spend 40 hours? But he doesn't hour? spend 40 hours. He doesn't. I barely see him out there. Well, this is a good point. If you're spending 40 hours in a garden a week, right? You should be like these guys who have the million pounds of food a year hydroponic gardens because they spend 40 hours a year in their gardens and they produce a million pounds of food. Right. If you're producing less than a million pounds of food and you spend 40 hours a week in your garden, you should feel bad about it probably, right? <laughs> As a comparative factor. So I, I think that I think I spend five hours a week in the garden. Um, I can't say I know how much I probably actually spend because I've spent you a lot of my time. You're producing 120,000 pounds of food a year. Oh, oh, you're terrible. I spent a lot of my time. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time recently building up the garden and putting it in slowly instead of in, in one fell swoop because I am doing this alone. So I can't say how much I'm really spending at all. But when I do go out there recently, I am watering. I'm weeding while I water. I don't feel like it's that much work. I'm harvesting as I go. Um, it's not so bad. So the other, the other uh, one little comment I want to make about gardening too is when you are harvesting you want to make sure that you harvest seeds and produce before a rainstorm for a couple of reasons. I feel like it's obvious, but maybe it's not. The plants are going to fill with water after a rainstorm. Your berries, any of your, I mean, your fruit is ready when it's ready, but berries are ready kind of daily, day by day. They're going to fill with water and be less palatable. Um, but with your vegetables, you don't want waterlogged vegetables either. So you want to make sure that you're harvesting in time before a rainstorm and that you're being diligent about that. But you also want to make sure when you're harvesting seeds, if you're, if you're in a rainy climate like us, um, harvesting seeds with a rainy climate is so tough because you have mush that you're trying to dig through and work through. And you have the risk of everything germinating on you with that extra moisture, which is really happens. Um, so I have been using a dehydrator recently at the lowest set, uh, setting. I think it's 90 or 95 degrees. And you want to just do that for 30 minutes after you bring things in wet um, for your seeds. That dries everything out. It doesn't dry the seed out. It dries the coating out and allows me to separate it. And that's been really beneficial. So my last topic for homesteading is the home itself, um, which not a lot of people talk about how difficult it is to live in a country-ish home with a country-ish home. My question for you, because you bought this property before I was in the picture, why did you buy this house? Because I got tired of looking for houses, mostly. <laughs> so at the time, I mean, Houston wasn't in its heyday. There wasn't a lot of options. But were you looking for property? Were you looking for a house? Were you looking for a budget? What, what, was, what was the motivation? No, we got two acres, pretty decent house with a shop that's 1,200 square feet, which is great. And it was a good deal. Um, Although it was a good deal in the context of not knowing that somebody's uncle had done all the work on the house for 20 years and I had to redo all of it over the last 10 years. Yeah. So less of a good deal, but not bad. N not bad. I mean, it, it's, it was a weird, it's a weird house and some things weren't disclosed, which is dis disappointing, but. Oh, things were purposefully not disclosed and covered up in the paperwork. Yeah. Yes. Um, that is very true. Um, the county records were wrong about the age of the home too, which is a very interesting thing. Um, a Houston special is what I call it. Um, Harris County, Houston's County specifically does a lot of weird things. They're I, I, not saying they're lazy, but poorly equipped to handle the amount of land that they're um, 
supervising. And because I work in the industry of dealing with permits in the city and the county, all these things, I'm very aware of how unusual it is. Um, but with our home specifically, it was specifically, with our home specifically, it was listed as a completely different square footage, different bedrooms, different bathrooms, different age of the home. How, how far was it off by 20 years, 30 years? Yeah, I think that the county paperwork said it was 1994 and it was actually 1976. Yeah, so you, you put a did... bid offer on a 1995 or six home when it was actually a 1960 something home, correct? Well, 1976, I think is the okay. actual date. But I wasn't basically sure if I what they did is they, they, they put an addition on it and they used that as an excuse to update the county records to say it was a 1994 yeah, home. Yeah, so, so the addition the was a 50- questionable but the, not uh, not of the norm the addition ended up being 51 percent of the total home square footage per the records i was able to pull and that made the county decide yeah okay it's a 19 something 1990 something home right, um, which is silly because which means the electrical take, wasn't to code for that year and all these different things in the main right home. all of the mechanical parts of the home were still built in 1976 which is yeah. the most expensive parts and and i understand where a buyer beware state but i mean come on let's be reasonable about how well, wary so we, should we be. are we are a buyer beware state um but that doesn't exclude action on owners purposefully deceiving the buyers so there probably would have been a case in this instance to get some sort of recompense from the sellers but it's one of those things we found little stuff over time and every time we found little stuff it was like okay we'll just fix it and going to court over that sort of thing is not likely to yield good results uh, the truth is i don't think the previous owner of the home is alive um she was very elderly but anyways the the point is um with these old farm homes there, there are going to be some brother-in-law specials, is what I call them. You know, somebody else who maybe did a little bit of work who wasn't qualified. That, that's okay to an extent, but a majority of the home was done in that way. Unfortunately, we found out. And we are specifically in the county. We're specifically in Houston, which is already just unusual. Um, not Houston, but Houston area. And um, we're in on unrestricted property, which allows a lot of leeway and no one's paying any attention. You know, have neighbors tattling on somebody else about improvements. So a lot of this was done probably under the radar. Um, so what were your, uh, we, we'll talk about kind of the improvements and some of the um, suggestions for somebody buying a home on acreage or a, a farm home, but what were your original plans for this home? I, I've, I'm always curious. I always like to ask um, you <laughs> what your thoughts are. I'm because not sure it, that I have any. I, I never I'm found this sure, property fit you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it was far enough away from the neighbors that I didn't have to talk to them very much. That was the key. And it was <laughs> a decent deal at the time. Would you buy this home now knowing everything you know? Well, no and no. But I mean, I'm in a different time period in my life, right? Like as you get older, you make more money. So your standards get higher for what you have what you're willing to deal with. And I think if I went back in time and I knew better, I wouldn't have bought the house and then spent 10 years working on it. I would have bought the house, rolled another hundred grand into the loan and had it all fixed up right then. And I could have lived in it for 10 years already fixed up. Are there any additional challenges that we haven't discussed living here 
on acreage in Houston. I feel like we've covered well, everything like, except for foundational problems. Well, okay. That's one thing. If you live in South Texas, you're going to have to adjust your foundations. If you buy an old home, it's going to have cracks in the foundations and it'll probably have piers. Don't let that scare you away. It's normal. Every house has that. If you buy a new home, it'll need it in 10 years. Um, but also if you buy a home on acreage, it's more likely outside of the property, which means nobody requested permission or permits for code for anything. Uh, so if you look at a property and it's had repairs done, assume that they were done by somebody's uncle the wrong way. Is kind of some of the question marks of this home or things that you wish you had done, electrical, et cetera. Um, for me, it feels like we've been living in a perpetual episode of this old house. I mean, that's how, what I'm how, saying. Like, yeah. spend the money up front so you don't have to do that. Yeah. So, so for you, not knowing you had a, a much older home than you had, you wished now that you had put in a lot of electrical infrastructure and things like that. Um, but you also had no way of knowing the challenges that you were going to face. I mean, we ripped out every single wall at this point, I believe, yeah, uh, except for the master, yeah. except for the master. We haven't gotten to that yet. But we have suspicions. Um, but every time we've just checked on a wall, we've ended up having to do a lot more than we expected, right? Well, yeah, when you, when you find burn marks on the installation because the electrical wiring is overloaded, you have to rip it all out and replace it. Otherwise, your house will light on fire eventually. I think my um, favorite thing, good. That speaks to home inspectors aren't terrible, but for $400, they have very limited ability to figure out what's wrong with the house. Right, it's not reasonable um, for them to poke holes in the wall and check around, right? Yeah, home not. inspectors do the best job they do and most of them do a pretty good job, but it's about one-tenth of what needs to be done to really vet a home. My favorite thing about this home was uh, the main section of the home, the main older part, uh, included the kitchen, obviously, I hope, obviously. And we found, we were basically um, on a time warp when we started peeling off the wall. Like we found each iteration of age of the home as we peeled apart the wall. <laughs> yeah, well, who, who, who fixes a home by putting drywall on top of other drywall and then putting wood we had paneling on yeah putting more drywall on top of it there's there's five layers nobody took the old layer off first they just put it on top it's crazy we, we had said for years why isn't this kitchen open to the main living room and then we start peeling off layers and we go oh it was what other advice do you have for someone who wants to own large property or buy an older farmhouse that you haven't already mentioned Knock it down and build your own house. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. All right. So we got a little grim at the end, but uh, in your opinion, does that's the past- grim. That was good advice. No, it's good advice. It just feels like we regret our situation, which honestly, it, it's been a ton of fun living here. It's just been a burden at the same time, if that makes sense. It's kind of like if you're playing Monopoly and you um, go to jail too many times, you're still playing the game. You're still having fun, but like you're penalized more than you expected. <laughs> well, it makes... depends who you are, right? Like we have some <laughs> friends who their hobby is fixing up houses, right? So like they like to fix up stuff all the time. It's great for them. This would be a good fit for them. I had to do it out of necessity, not because it was my fun hobby, right? So that's the, that's the line. If you love fixing up houses, get yourself an old farmhouse and fix it up. If you don't love fixing up houses, build one. Yeah. Um, so does the past 10 years living here 
trying to grow food on the property, keep animals, keep up with this old house. Does it feel like a lifetime of living or just a really busy decade? Well, I'm still alive. It's not quite a lifetime of living yet. Uh, I, I will say living in an old house on a big property has, it entails a lot more work than you expect when you get into it. We're actually in a pretty good spot now. Like we've almost redone the entire house. We have like one room left which I'm not, I don't have my schedule, which makes it feel like it's not that much work. Yeah. It took I, a while to get here. I feel like it was a really busy 10 years and now we've hit our stride. We're comfortable. We know everything about the house. That's the big thing. If we ever moved, we'd start all over theoretically with the unknowns. We know everything about this place. We know where all the pipes go, all the weird stuff where things are cut off outside of the home. I'm not, I mean, I'm talking about the home at this point, just the yard itself. And I, and I have 10 years of aerial footage uh, plus to kind of prove a few things. When we, when we find weird things, we just look on the aerial on Google earth. Um, I feel like at this point, everything's pretty easy. You know, we, we know what not to mess with. We don't go to a new part of the property and say, let's dig here. Right? We just, nope, we're good. We don't want to find anything new. Um, we, we've been learning more from the neighbors. Like I learned the other day, the reason why we're not getting any plums off of our plum trees is because we have too much iron ore in the soil, which we've hit. We know we have, um, but I never knew that. I never even thought to ask that to the internet, to myself, to anybody else. Um, and our neighbors have the, the keys to some of the, our success or lack of success, which is great. So yeah, I mean, it's been a really busy 10 years. We've also purposely done that to ourselves by we, I mean, me buying animals and doing crazy things. But um, would you say it was fun and worth it? Those are two separate mm. questions, I suppose. Fun versus worth it. Both questionable. I would say yeah, fun. I wouldn't say worth it. <laughs> it was fun. There were, there were a lot of weird memories and stories we probably don't even remember to tell at this point still both questionable oh gosh oh no all right do you like living here now oh it's not so bad um it'd be That's nice if we could wonderful. afford like a lawn service and a handyman uh, it's not about affording at this stuff. point we have tried lawn services so many times to give ourselves a leg up with our work and no one sticks around once they actually see how big our property is they go same difference okay. we can't get one out we can't get one <laughs> yeah um I, I like living here now. I, I I can see potentially not being here as okay um, because even though we do our repairs, we run into improve. We even though we've done our improvements and repairs, we run into more repairs on the things I feel like we just did. But I think that's Houston specific. I feel like the weather here, the humidity, the the pests, everything kind of wreaks havoc on a home. It makes things just a little bit more challenging. What do you think? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think it's also one of those things like where you live defines your maintenance schedule. And if you're not willing to do that maintenance yourself, you pay somebody else for it. And if you're not willing to pay somebody else, then you pay in the depreciating value of your property because it doesn't get maintained. That's a good point. Thanks for giving your opinion to other people because sometimes when I do podcasts or when I consult or um, offer information, it's, it's one-sided, it's, it's skewed, and maybe it's not even realistic um, it's based on my lofty goals or my overall thoughts and feelings about how homestead gardening can fit into a, a normal person's life or how just living on acreage can fit into a normal person's life. And the truth is, 
I can't say I have a normal life at all. I mean, we don't vacation because we have to take care of things. You know, there, there are a lot of sacrifices that we probably make to make this life work. Um, and I love it, but it may not be for everybody. With that said, if you have the opportunity, I think it's worth trying and making the most of it. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, and I agree. Oh gosh, that's a vote of confidence. <laughs> no, anyways, no, no. I would much rather live up on acreage and deal with all this nonsense than deal with the crappy neighbors over in the suburbs. <laughs> the you ones know, like, that tattle on you for getting. This is the trade-off we're talking about. This is not a forty-acre ranch, right? If you want a ranch, you want a ranch. This is what you go to if you don't quite want to run a ranch as your job, but you really hate the suburbs. And for that, even though it's more effort, it's worth it. I, I think that um, the the parallel would be um, deal with sedgeweed and spreading weeds and have constant maintenance as your hobby, truthfully, living on acreage or get in trouble with your neighbor for letting your kayak dry out visible on your front lawn. That's kind of what we're talking about here. <laughs> those, are the, those are the differences in experience. Um, well, thank you so much for, for joining us. And I hope that you, um, I hope that you were thoroughly entertained. I don't know that you learned anything, but if you did, I appreciate that too. 4 billion small animals a year. That's the effect of domesticated cats in the United States. Take that with you. Were you researching that this whole time? No, I know that as a fact from like a decade ago because I hate cats and I wanted to know fact. all the negative information stupid, about them. <laughs> that's a stupid fact. <laughs> I wanted to be able to smear them in the media. I feel like I feel I like can. you just were holding onto that fact so that one day you could show up on a podcast. Uh, which didn't exist, you know, before 10 years ago. That would have been a good strategy, but no, I've said it many <laughs> times before. Okay. <laughs>